also bless you through the uh, study of his word and then the uh, baptismal service and, and, and what is to follow. Um, it is always a joy, as, as Ron mentioned this morning, the baptismal service is always something that's very significant to the church and uh, something that is looked forward to and usually we get a, a nice crowd of visitors to come in on, on baptism Sunday and um, we just have a good old time in the Lord, and so we are glad that you've decided to join us for that today, and, and um, we're going to look at uh, a few things from Scripture just for a, a little bit. We won't spend a lot of time this morning uh, in, in message. We wanna, I want to lay some groundworks for what's going to take place in the uh, baptismal this morning. We have three that are going to be baptized, and uh, last time we had a baptism um, can't remember when it was, but we discussed the spiritual nature of baptism. We, we discussed how baptism is, is an outward symbol of something that takes place in your heart, and what truly is important is what takes place in your heart. Um, the, out, the outward symbol <clears throat> is, is important, but not as important as the inward reality that it, that it points to. Um, I've often illustrated that baptism is like putting on a uniform uh, for an athletic team. There are people who wear uniforms who are not a part of the team, and that uniform means nothing to them at all because they're not a part of the team. Then, then there are those who have worked hard to become a part of the team, or a better way of saying that would be there are those who have become a part of the team by um, the labor of someone, and um, when they put that uniform on, it's very significant and very important, and, uh, and, and it's because they are a part of the team. So what is the most important thing this morning is that you are a part of the team, and what I mean, what I mean by that is you're a part of the, of the Jesus team. You're a part of, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus Christ, and what this baptism says in an, in an outward way is that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I want everybody to know that I follow Jesus. He is my Lord. He is my master. He is my guide. Um, what he says, I do. I'm, I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 2, where the Lord talks about how that they were baptized into Moses um, by the pillar of fire and the cloud. In other words, it simply means that they followed that pillar of, of fire and that cloud. It was what guided them. And so baptism is a, is a picture of that relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. And we read in, in uh, it was read this morning by Michael, Romans chapter number six, verse one through four. And uh, he talks about being um, that baptism, when we're baptized spiritually, that we, are, um, we become partakers of the death of Christ, that when Christ resurrected from the grave, we partake of his resurrection. So by spiritual baptism, we are a partaker of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, or we're a beneficiary of Jesus Christ's work in his death, burial, and resurrection. And this is what sets us free from our sins. As, as humanity, we're all sinners. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all sinners as human beings, and we need a Savior, and the scriptures are very clear that it is impossible for us to save ourselves. Now, we can't do anything to remove our sins. It's like somebody who is a, 
who, who robs the bank, they are marked with an identity that they are a robber. They are a thief, and it's not like they can go the next 20 years and say, well, if I do a thousand good deeds, then I'll no longer be a thief. They are marked by that identity. And and as human beings, based upon the uh, sin of Adam and then our sins, we are marked by the identity of being a sinner. And uh, Romans 5 and verse 12, the Bible says, for us by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin, and then death passed to all men, because all men have sinned. So that's our condition. That's our identity. And we can't change our own identity. We can't change who we are. We can't change who we are, what we follow. Only Jesus Christ and his blood can, it makes it possible for us to go in a different direction. And so Jesus Christ came and he died. And the Bible says he didn't die for himself, but he died for us. And when we're baptized, uh, not physically, but spiritually, we are a partaker or a participant in his death. In other words, as Romans 6 says, his death becomes our death. And what's wonderful to know is that there's no, there's no crime that an individual can commit that death will not satisfy the punishment for. There's no crime that I can commit or that you can commit that death is not the satisfying punishment or payment for that crime. And therefore, when Jesus Christ died and we became a partaker of his death, his death became our death, which was satisfaction to God, the judge, that our sins were paid for in full. And what's neat beyond that is, is that Jesus Christ did not remain in the grave, but three days after his death, the Bible says that he rose up out of that grave victorious over death, over hell, over sin, over Satan. Jesus Christ was the ultimate victor, and he was the ultimate victor for us. So we become a partaker or a participant, not just in the death of Jesus Christ, but we become a partaker or a participant in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is why we baptize. We baptize as a picture, a symbol, if you will, of being buried with Christ, being buried by being put under the water or being put under the dirt, and then rising up out of the grave. It's a beautiful picture and and, and a wonderful symbol of what Jesus Christ did for us when he died on the cross for our sins and rose the third day. And what is amazing is that we can be, you who are sitting here today can become a partaker of that. You can become a participant in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ simply by placing your faith in him. It is by trusting, it is by depending, it is by embracing what Jesus Christ has done for you. It is by acknowledging that you are sinful and that you need a savior. And Jesus Christ is that sufficient and significant savior. Listen, folks, there are two directions that you can live your life. One direction says, I will fix it on my own. The other direction says, Jesus Christ fixed it for me. One direction ends up, is is based upon obedience to a set of rules and ends up in condemnation. The other is based upon the obedience of Christ and ends up in glorification. I don't know about you, but the 
decision is pretty obvious, isn't it? We could ask the question for anyone who is, for those of you who are saved here this morning, it's almost, it's almost nonsensical to think about somebody rejecting this path over here. But yet people do it every single day of their lives. And they do it because they have not the spirit of God living within them, enlightening them to understand and receive the truth. With that, this week we're going to talk about the ordinance of baptism. This is not a spiritual, this is not a spiritual event today. This is a physical event. This is something that God has ordained for us as a church to participate in as a reflection of what's true inside of us. We always want to remember that this does not change who we are, okay? It just represents who we are. Somebody who wants to identify as a Christian is going to be willing to go through the water baptism to represent that, okay? In in other words, one of the first things that Jesus did at the beginning of his earthly ministry was to be baptized, And so if I want to be a a follower of Jesus, I want to be baptized. Amen? Okay. Wake up this morning and get ready to roll. I figured after all that music, we would be alive and just ready. And so this is a representation, something that God ordained. We We call it an ordinance or a tradition that has been established for the church so that we can represent to each other that, we are, that, you, that I want to reflect to you that I am a follower of Christ. It's very similar, again, Ron mentioned this as well, to the Lord's Supper. It's a different ordinance, but it's very similar in that it reflects on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, where the Lord's Supper reflects on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, and both reflecting on the same event. We want to remember as well that according to 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, we we read this two weeks ago, that we're to carry out these ordinances as close to the biblical pattern as possible. In other words, our job is to carry them out in such a way as to be a reflection of how they were performed in the Bible. Tradition is not what guides us. God's word is what guides us. And God's word is the foundation to us doing the things that we do. So we want to do it as a pattern that's laid out for us in his word as closely as we possibly can. Remember this as well. These ordinances or traditions are not meant to promote pride, individuality, or self-will. These ordinances or traditions are not meant to promote Pride, individuality, or self-will. This is why we do the same thing with everybody. We practice the same thing with everybody because ultimately, it's not as much about the individual that's being baptized as it is about the individual's God, Jesus Christ. So this is not meant to promote self It's not meant to promote individuality. This is meant to promote humility. It's meant to promote unity. It's meant to promote selflessness. It shows that I'm a part of this body. And everybody who's a part of this body as a member has been through these waters, right? Not specifically these waters. They were put in this week. But you know what I mean. 
They have been through water baptism, and it creates unity because we've all participated in the same thing. It's not a, it's not a, a promotion of individuality or self. A- again, it is to bring about and show unity and humility and submission and, and being a follower of Jesus Christ, which obviously means submission and humility, all those other things that I mentioned, right? Jesus Christ was the epitome of those things. One of the hardest things in the Christian life to do is, is not to go through these waters, it's not to take the Lord's Supper, but one of the hardest things in the Christian life to do is to be submissive. It's to say, yes, I'll do whatever the Lord asked me to do, I'll do it without pride or selfish, selfishness or self-protection. I will do what God asked me to do simply because he asked me to do it. And, and we trust the Lord enough to know that he won't ask us to do something that's going to, to harm us by making us proud, but to humble us. Let me give you some thoughts. What is the origin of baptism? What is the origin of baptism? If you want to turn with me in the book of Colossians chapter number two, we can, we can uh, baptism can go back to the Old Testament in the same way that the Lord's Supper can go back to the Passover Supper. We can see uh, similarities in those events. Um, we can see similarities in baptism with the Old Testament circumcision. And we can see similarities. Circumcision in the Old Testament, if a, if a Jewish child was born, he was circumcised on the eighth day as a sign of the covenant that God had made with the children of Israel. In the same way that circumcision did not make anyone Jewish, baptism doesn't make anyone Christian. It simply is an identification. In other words, you had to be Jewish before you were circumcised for it to matter, and you have to be Christian before you're baptized for it to matter. It doesn't change your identity. As a matter of fact, those, those uh, they, that identify with Christ through baptism as a result of conversion are those who will, will take it seriously. In the, in the same way, if you go to... Um, 1 Corinthians 11, the Lord's Supper. What does he say about taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? And the idea of it is, is that these people taking the Lord's Supper are not taking it seriously because it's not true in their heart. And he warns them that there's judgment that is possible on these people because of this. Colossians 2 and verse 11, the Bible says, in him also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands. Okay, he's talking about spiritual circumcision. He tells the Jewish people not uh, circumcision made with hands or the physical circumcision is what matters, but it is the spiritual circumcision that matters. It is the putting off of the flesh. He says, um, who raised, uh, let's see here, made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. 
So we see that connection, if we want to go back to, a, to an Old Testament tradition that, that, uh, that flows with baptism, we go back to the Old Testament principle of the circumcision. Now, it's important to remember, again, that Jews were circumcised after they were born Jews and not before. It didn't make them Jewish. It simply was a sign of the covenant that God had made with the Jewish people. Okay, And God makes a covenant with people in the New Testament. And that covenant is not based upon, in the Old Testament, it was based upon the fact that you were born into a Jewish family, right? You're born into a Jewish family, so they marked you as a Jew. In the New Testament, each individual that's a part of the family is not born into the covenant based upon who their parents are. They are born into the covenant based upon the Holy Spirit. That's what John 3 talks about, being born again. So our, in the Old Testament, being Jew was very, uh, it was a part of the family, In the New Testament, being a Christian is not a part of our earthly family. It's a part of our heavenly family. It's based upon the the regeneration, regenerational work of the Holy Spirit. He makes us a part of his family. And so baptism traditionally can go back to there. In the New Testament, baptism was something that Uh, We obviously know John the Baptist was called John the Baptist because he was a baptizer. He went around baptizing people with water, and his baptism was a baptism of repentance. Jesus baptized, or at least his disciples did, in John 4 and verse 1. There is some different debate on when Jesus says that Jesus didn't baptize. Uh, didn't baptize those except his disciples or except his disciples. Some believe that that means that his disciples baptized and others mean that, think that he, that meant that he baptized only his disciples. But we know that the ministry, the work of Jesus, the work of his disciples included baptism. And then Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, we know that The church is called to baptize. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize or make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I command you, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? Okay? So it's important. Even that that flow is important. You make a disciple by preaching the gospel to them. Then you baptize them, which is identifying them with, the Christi- with Christianity, identifying them as a follower of Christ, and then you teach them to observe all things that, that um, God has commanded us. I, I would submit to you that this is the first act of obedience. The first act of obedience. Beyond this, if somebody says, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to go through the water baptism, the the step of teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you is kind of put on hold because this is the first command. Identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're ashamed to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, we can't move to observing all the things that God commands you Because honestly, folks, if we're ashamed to go through this, how much more shame will there be when it comes to doing all the things that God commands us to do? This is just the very basic thing. It's, It's amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a very safe environment. The Lord is gonna call us to go out amongst wolves and to be be gospel people, right? It's gonna be harder than this. 
So the Lord says, baptize, identify that you are a follower of Jesus. Make that bold proclamation that I'm a follower of Christ. And then to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded them. This is, a, this is an identification. You're marking yourself, and you're doing it willingly. We're commissioned to do that. What is, the purpose of, what is the purpose of baptism? First of all, what was the origin of baptism? What is the purpose of baptism? It is, number one, to identify us with Christ. It is a, vib- a, a visible proclamation that I am a follower of Jesus. Again, it's like having a uniform. I'm a part of the team. I'm not ashamed to say to this body of believers that I love Jesus. I'm not ashamed or afraid to be held accountable by this body of believers. I want to, listen, when a person gets saved and comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, there's nothing more that they want than to grow and to walk with Christ and to know Christ. And the only way that that's possible is by the body working together to help them grow. And listen, folks, there's nothing more important than being a follower of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more important than being a follower of Jesus Christ. You are destiny, your destiny is decided as a follower of Jesus Christ. You have hope of eternal life with God. The alternative is horrible. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is so significant. Let me go one step further to say this. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is great. It's a wonderful thing. It's a a marvelous thing. Don't let the devil paint this picture of following Jesus as being some kind of a, well, we can't do anything. We can't have any fun in life anymore. No, being a follower of Jesus Christ is the greatest fun. You get to have fun and wake up the next morning and not have a problem over it. (laughs) Right? You get to enjoy life for what God really meant us to enjoy life about. We get to have a new purpose, and, 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 and everything is, is different. There's nothing that brings us to, to more of a reality than when, you, when, you, when you're given the opportunity to preach a funeral, and you're reminded of how short life is, and you're reminded of how long eternity is. These things don't matter to the younger generation anymore. But folks, there's coming a day where the younger generation is going to be the older generation. And they're not going to have the the same significance or importance or, or focus on the things of God or eternity. Identifying with Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not ashamed of it. Amen? It's a representation, a representation of the gospel. The Lord says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For I delivered to you at first importance what I also received, that Christ died for my sins, for our sins, in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried and that he raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. When we are baptized, we're identifying, we're, we're representing, we're reflecting on what Jesus Christ did for us. And there's nothing more important than knowing, embracing, believing that Jesus Christ died for my sins. 
And when he died for my sins, it means, number one, that my sins were fully paid for, that God in heaven no longer saw my sins and was angry with me. He fully satisfied God's wrath towards my, my sins. But in addition to that, he set me free from my sins. I've heard it said before, Jesus didn't die so that we could sin. Jesus died so that we couldn't sin. Because before you're saved, you have no choice but to live a life of sin. Jesus Christ sets you free from that. His death, his substitutionary atonement was to pay the full price of God's wrath towards our sins. You say, Pastor John, how angry was God at my sins? Look at the cross. Look at the fact that his own son, that God sent his own son, and God put his own son through horrible misery and suffering and pain. Don't think that God is not angry with our sins. God is desperately and passionately angry with sin to the point where he sends his own son into the world to take them on himself so that you could not bear, would not have to bear them because, folks, the reality of it is you could not bear them. And he says, just embrace what Jesus has done for you. It is the most, it is the simplest thing. All I have to do is embrace what somebody else did for me. That's what the Bible teaches. Whoever believes in Jesus has everlasting life. Whoever has the son has life. It is simple. Embrace what Jesus has done for you. Because you could do nothing for yourself. I know it's not simple, but it is simple. It wasn't simple for Jesus 2,000 years ago when he suffered the extraordinary wrath of God. But he did it for us so that we might embrace him and experience his love and his grace and his grace, mercy and his kindness towards us. Represents that. It represents his resurrection. We're no longer dead in our trespasses and sins. We're no longer slaves to sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, we might meet the righteous demands of God by being in Christ. It's by being clothed with Jesus that we're able to find favor and grace. I'm going to tell you a story. I, I have some other thoughts here, but I'm going, to, I'm going to pass them by. I don't really feel like they're that important right now. My heart is just burdened this morning for, if anybody in here that doesn't know Christ, the, the importance and the significance of coming to faith, coming to be clothed in his righteousness, to embrace what he has done for us. There's a story of a, a young man who was in the, in the, in the uh, he was, he and, his, he and his younger brother were, he had twin brother, and they were, um, 
One of them was serving the Lord, and the other one was, was, was a gang member, and he was out doing things that he shouldn't be doing. And, and uh, he, one day, the gang member was out in the alley, and he was gambling for some things, and he ended up losing and ended up getting into a fight with this other man who he was gambling with, and he ended up pulling out a knife, and he ended up killing that man. And he's covered in blood, and as you can imagine, the frantic nature of the moment, he, he runs home as fast as he can. He, he sheds those bloody clothes and puts them into the, uh, a place where he figured they might be hidden, and he runs out of the house, and he, he, he goes off to, to where he can find some sense of, of safety and some sense of, of being away from the law. Well, that day, his brother came home from work, and his brother comes in the front door, and he notices that things are kind of out of sorts and they're not what they used to be and the house is not in the order that it's in. He notices, notices a little streak of blood there because his brother didn't, didn't deal with the situation well and he, uh, he follows that trail and he finds this, this uh, pile of bloody clothes and he realizes what has happened. He knows his brother has gotten into some trouble and that probably very soon the, the law is gonna be coming to get his brother. And so the brother who was the one who was walking with the Lord and doing what was right, he took that, he took those, um, he took those bloody clothes and he put them on himself. And he waited for the law to come and the law came and the law arrested him, took him to court, found him guilty. Obviously, he's wearing the clothes. He looks just like the guy that committed the crime, obviously, because they were twins, and commits him to a sentence of death. And um, they carry out the punishment on that young man and take his life. Years go by, and the brother begins to think, I wonder what's going on back home. I haven't heard from anybody. Nobody has come looking for me, everything. So he decides, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to find out what's happened. So that brother, he goes home and he gets, goes into town and he begins to look for people. He's like, hey, you know, what, what's happened? Where's my brother at? And I haven't had anybody come searching for me. And, and um, some of his friends begin to tell him a part of the story and he, he, he finds out what's happened. He finds out that his brother has paid the full penalty, has borne his sins and paid the full penalty the young man runs into the judge's office and begins to plead with him and say, I'm the one. I'm the one who committed the crime. I'm the one who murdered that young man. I'm the one who did it. And the judge says to him, the crime has been paid for. We cannot hold you and will not hold you accountable because we already held your brother accountable for your sins. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ hung on a tree not for his own sins, but he hung on a tree for our sins. He paid the full penalty that God requires. It's easy for us. But my friend, I will suggest to you that it was anything but easy for him. At this time, I'm going to invite those who are being baptized to head back to begin to get ready.
As we think about and consider baptism this morning, these three, uh, Cheryl, Sarah, and Golive, are wanting to boldly proclaim that they have, by faith, embraced what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. And let me say this to you. This marvelous gift of forgiveness and deliverance and salvation is only effective for those who embrace Jesus Christ. It's sufficient for everyone. It's it's sufficient for everyone, but it's only effective. It only applies to those who embrace what Jesus Christ has done for them. It doesn't apply to everybody. The scary thing is, is that people will die in their sins. People will die in their sins having rejected the Son of God. And what's sadder is that there might be someone here this morning who is hearing the gospel, maybe for the first time, maybe it's for the hundredth time, but the Holy Spirit is working on your heart right now. You're sitting there this morning and you're saying, you're you're battling with yourself. And you know that the Lord is working or something is going on inside of you. Listen, listen, Bow your knee to Jesus. Embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you. Embrace the death of Christ as yours. And then experience the wonderful resurrection that we can have in Christ. His life is ours. His death is ours. His resurrection is ours. His joy is ours. His wealth and riches, his heaven is ours. We are given all that he gave up to die for us. I think of what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 8 and verse 9. I'm going to turn there. If you want to join me, you can. The Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you might be rich through his poverty. Jesus Christ did everything necessary to purchase us for himself and he promises us an eternal home in heaven and he promises us his glory. He promises us everything. He tells us, embrace what Jesus Christ has done. Embrace, believe, trust, depend on what Jesus Christ has done for us. In closing, let me say this to you. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter number three, when Jesus Christ went through similar waters to these, not the same, not in an in a open body of water, but, but the picture is the same. Jesus says this, that he did that to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, everything that God required of us, Jesus Christ fulfilled for us. 
that make sense? Everything that God required of us, Jesus Christ fulfilled for us. But he calls us an act, an act of righteousness. Titus chapter number three and verse five, the Bible says that we are saved not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy. We are not saved because we go through the baptism. We are not saved because we take the Lord's Supper. We are not saved because we do anything. We are saved this morning because Jesus did everything. Amen? Amen. So my encouragement to you is confess that you are a sinner. Confess that you can do nothing about your sinful condition and embrace the reality that Jesus Christ did everything. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come together to worship you. Lord, you're worthy of our worship. We are not ashamed at all of being called Christians. And I pray that as these three present that reality in baptism, that you would use their testimony and their witness to grab a hold of someone's heart that's here today that needs to embrace Jesus for salvation. Lord, I pray that you wouldn't let anyone leave here not knowing that they're spiritually secure in Christ. Please bless the remainder of our service. Be with Pastor Jeff and Jason as they perform these baptisms. Lord God, be glorified through them. I also pray for those who will be giving their testimony that you will bless them with confidence and calm their nerves and help them to be clear and to be bold proclaimers of your truth. And I just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.